Welcome to the Conscious Economics Podcast. I'm your host, Rhiannon Roseland. I'm a serial entrepreneur and social innovator. I like to gather people from all different walks to talk about what I call the conscious economy. I believe that we can create a more equitable system, one that honors the well-being of people, the well-being of the planet, the well-being of business, and includes art and creativity. Join us each week as we tackle a different intersection of this big but critical conversation. What's up, everyone? We are officially in season two of the Conscious Economics podcast. I am your host, Rhiannon Roseland. I am the creator and founder of Conscious Economics, and we are here today joined with a really good friend of mine and an amazing person who's doing cool things in the world, of course. Um, so Andre Forsyth is the founder uh, and ex executive director, sorry, of the Canadian Climate Challenge, and he's the project lead on the School for Climate. So Andre, now you and I are sitting around talking about these issues all the time, but today we're here to really, you know, share with our audience. Tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming what I call a social innovator, because that's how I that's how I see you. Yeah, of course. Um, no, yeah. Thank you for having me. And yes, we are often uh, talking about these issues. So I'm glad to actually finally make it onto the conscious economics. Um, my, uh, my journey to becoming a social innovator um, is long. Um, I've been around a long time. So, um, But some of the most prominent moments for me that I think um, really changed my path, specifically relating to the economy, is I used to be a BCom student at McMaster. What? And I remember sitting in an economics class um, and this is what changed my my major from BCom to to poli sci was sitting in there and listening to the professor list all of the externalities that were outside of our economic system, and they're all the things that mattered most. Mm. Um, first and foremost, nature. So we have an, an entire economic system that is predicated on externalizing the impacts on nature mm. and that way I'm like hold on how is this is supposed to work for us right and that for me was one of the one of the key moments that was like switched me and literally changed my major within the next six months I'm like no I need to be on, on the front lines of something that's really wow. more connected in our reality and and, uh, and 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 functioning within that so wow you know what that's really profound and I do think and I mean we're here right now we're sitting here at conscious economics and again conscious economics trying to say that that economic system that economic framework it has to change yeah. it has to enlighten itself it has to start to include some of these other pieces and nature being you know right in that wheelhouse of our planet pillar um, and really leading me to talk about the work that you're doing right now so can you talk a little bit about Canadian climate challenge and what are you guys trying to do what what is the you know what's the thesis of the organization yeah of course and so you mentioned both the, the two kind of separate areas that we we've uh, we work in is Canadian climate challenge and school for climate and, and Canadian climate challenge uh, preceded the founding of, of the school for climate project and Canadian climate challenge was founded based on a real like connection with the inequity in the climate space, the climate conversation, climate action, access to events, access to knowledge, access to empowerment, and, and a real understanding of, of what we were facing. Mm. Um, as uh, clearly a black person, a person of color, um, in growing up in Toronto, um, I was more fortunate than a lot of people in terms of my access to education and, and upper mo mobility. And even for me, the relation to how the climate emergency and impacts were going to be particularly hitting our communities, mm -hmm. uh, communities of color, yeah. um, that link was not, <laughs> has not been made at all. Mm. And I remember like 
transitioning from different social groups, which I was lucky to do, you, you, there was a complete disconnection. Meanwhile, in the, in the home countries where a lot of folks um, come from, they're, they're on the front lines. Yeah. And so this disconnection for me was huge. And, and, um, and the first thing I could think of that I could do um, is with starting Canadian Climate Challenge is how do we make access to these events more equitable? Right. Um, so the first thing we did um, when we launched Canadian Climate Challenge is essentially it's a site that aggregates all the um, climate events and actions that are taking place around the GTA. So whether it's finance related, whether it's a park cleanup, Bringing, so I can go there and I can see what's happening Absolutely. in my community and I can get involved. Absolutely. That's so cool. 100%. And, yeah. then, and then going to most of them, because most of them are downtown yeah. in the middle of the day. Who can go to Who that? can do that? Who, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and so then we went to each of those events and started live streaming them or creating social content so people could, could connect with that with that messaging, which is just kind of a small step. But, but it's actually huge. Yeah. And it's, again, it, I, I think why we connected so deeply is because I'm so passionate about opening up accessibility for people to talk about the economy, to talk about climate, to talk about these things. And it's true, there's all these barriers for many different groups that make them feel like they're not a part of that conversation. And we can kind of get into that because I think that that is a, a juicy kind of nugget. But before we do, I just want to talk about the School for Climate because this is such a badass project yes. um, and definitely Thank something you. that like, I know, it's really <laughs> good. So tell us a little bit about that because I think our audience will be interested. For sure. Uh, and so the, the next up after uh, Canadian Climate Challenge, we started the School for Climate, and the whole purpose with that is, is um, so the School for Climate is a collective of, of artists who we've brought into the conversation to try and convey uh, a, a collective narrative. Mm -hmm. the, the shift that we need to change in our cultural stories is not going to be accurately conveyed to most folks through articles in, in like the data yeah there's no emotional connection to that most right. of the time um and what what's missing from cop 26 what's missing from every political party that has tried to represent canada there's no overwhelming narrative that conveys that we're all together mm. um and expresses that in a way that is solutions oriented and positive and for yeah. us to move forward together and so when we thought of how do we convey this um what better way than art and, yeah. and musician, which I know you you totally yes, get. Yes, this so, is why we have fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's what that's what the school for climate is. We we uh, try and create uh, kind of creative um, engagements, whether it's a mural, uh, whether you know, seventy by forty foot mural like we have in Oshawa, so um, cool. whether it's the complete like uh, immersive uh, climate solutions um, environment that we're creating at U of T at the moment. Um, we really want to find a way for to connect that story with folks in a more visceral and an emotional way. So people get to go into these immersive art experiences that you and your incredible collective are creating and they get to actually feel and experience climate change and climate solutions as opposed to just reading about them in a book. I think that's so, so, so progressive. And I love, again, it's activating our art pillar here. We really really, really believe that that emotive piece has to be there in order to create collective change. So I just love what you're doing. I love that you always rep the medicine wheel. I love that you're like holding that prayer of unity and you continue to kind of fight for that. It gives me such, um, it gives me such hope to be quite honest, because now let's get into the topic that we were speaking about where groups have been left out of this conversation and predominantly the groups that have been let out of this conversation happen to be groups that are racialized, that have been marginalized. And for me, I know I show up as a white woman, but I 
was raised in poverty and I watched my family struggle to put food on the table and I watched my family struggle with many, many different things that were economic, that this idea of saving the planet or making these changes, it was like almost a kind of a joke. It was like, are you kidding me? And I I speak to a lot of people who still feel very removed from it. Like it was this elitist, almost rich white movement at some point, although the planet is an asset for all of us. And like you said, those that are marginalized um, tend to be most impacted by climate, even just around the world. When we look at climate migration and all of these things, we see the countries and that are that are most impacted. So tell me, I guess, in your own way, you know, is this really shifting? How far do we have to go? Is it a generational piece? Like I have so, I just want to know what you think. <laughs> yes, all of the above. Yeah. Um, so I think the biggest shift that we see in that narrative is the uh, prevalence of the climate justice perspective now. Okay. I think that's one of the most recognizable changes from the way that the conversation used to be yes. and all environmentally based. And then now we're talking about climate justice and the way that this needs to be a social justice program. Yes. That um, if it's going to have any sort of chance at success and I think what we're talking about essentially is at the root of this is there's no one who benefits from a system where that is so deeply entrenched in inequity and inequality Mm -hmm. and if we don't and that's whether that's on an environmental basis whether that's on a financial basis we're seeing the limitations of that approach Mm -hmm. and of course it's taking longer for the folks who have benefited most from this inequitable system it's taking longer for them to get that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the same time, the folks who are who are most impacted by those negative impacts are also sim- similarly being disconnected from yes. that information. And so it's no wonder that the things are moving so slowly or have traditionally moved so slowly. And so that's what we, we see as the real challenge is to convey that there's the inequity here is what has to be solved in, in whatever solution. And the limits that we all experience um, uh, for success, for growth, where every, everyone is limited by that inequity. Mm. Um, just like that, like uh, when you're on, what's the, on, when you're on the Titanic yeah. and it's all going down, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. You're all confined by inequity. Yes. Um, and so that's what we're hoping wow. we, can, we can convey. Mm-hmm. I think that's so powerful. And, you know, I have to admit, and I know I've, I think I've admitted this to you, but I'm going to admit it to you again right here, that I have a lot of, um, I don't know what it is. I I feel like I have a lot of, I don't know if it's low self-worth or like I'm nervous about the climate piece more because I have felt so traditionally disconnected from it. Mm-hmm. Um, although I care so deeply about it, I also feel very much like a hypocrite a lot of the times because I'm still driving a car. I'm still doing, I'm still like functioning in a system that I know is not the way it should be, but it's also entrenched in your every single day, you know, process that I do feel a little bit like a hypocrite. And I think it keeps a lot of people on the sidelines because they're like, oh, I'm not perfect or I'm not like, I'm not showing up brown bagging it every day or whatever it is, whatever your, your notion of it is. So I don't belong there. Or like, I can't be a part of this. And sometimes, you know, within the movement, I think there's this swath or this spread of folks I think there's people that are like legitimately deeply living in a different way Mm -hmm. and are like forget it I'm going to be that example and then there's other people on the fringe that are 
interested, want to be invited in, but also feel trepidatious. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even for the position that I held at the Economic Club of Canada for over a decade, I did a lot of work with all the natural resource organizations and all of these things. And I was immersed in the business talk of it all Mm -hmm. for so long. And so, again, it made me feel very uninvited to the party of the movement. And I still kind of put my toe in and out. And so for me, the place where I found my most connection is actually just being in nature, starting there, Mm -hmm. not to be perfect, not to have everything figured out, not to know and memorize all the facts, but to say, I'm going to make a concerted effort to try and spend more time in nature and reconnect. And that's how I'm tackling that piece for myself right now. But is this a common sentiment? Like, how do you feel about it? Because you're in it. You represent it now. So (laughs) do you feel like you have to show up a very particular way or is that just innate to you at this point? Well, I think one of the things that I love uh, about myself, thank you very much, um, <laughs> is I, I feel like um, the definition of imperfection. Like, I, it doesn't, you don't have to know me for very long to, to see how honest I am about what I don't know, what I need to learn, um, mistakes that I've made, um, often I've made very openly, um, very publicly. Um, and I think that we need more people like that or more, more people in general who are okay with that. We need to eradicate this idea of perfection. Mm-hmm. If, we're, if we're waiting for a perfect system to replace what we have now, then we might as well give up now. Right. It's going to take everybody. And I think that's, um, that's part of the approach that we take with the School for Climate is we try and identify. Um, so right now, one of the things we, we're doing, for example, is, is murals. And murals obviously are, we like the idea of murals because there's a permanence associated with them and a community connection with them. Mm-hmm. And so we try, whenever we're, we're doing a mural, we try and make sure that the content of that mural connects with the folks in that community and with some of the solutions that are most relevant and empowering for them. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's that's where we're, where we're missing for a lot of people is where do people feel power? Mm-hmm. It's not just at home and in their families. It's in their communities. It's in their places of worship. It's in their, in their industries. And how do you reach people with the structural change uh, and, and the actions that can support that change um, is, is what's important. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to reach them there. We have to reach them that way. And, 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 and that sense of community and collective action mm-hmm. is really where we need to be um, in order to move anything forward and that collective thought process yes. together. And, and so I think that has been fundamental for us and, and anyone who is trepidatious about joining, I think that's the way you, you, you reach those folks is connecting them into the community, showing them how their community can mm-hmm. work together. And then it's a lot easier to take that step when you've got a few folks. I love that. And I love like It means a lot for me to see someone like yourself at the forefront of this particular part of the movement and this organization. There was really an invitation that came when I met someone like you who like you said was so open and honest and didn't feel polarizing on either side but was really welcoming this big tent kind of idea where like we are all welcome and and the art piece really being a universal language Mm -hmm. that everyone can connect to and that to me like that's where I was like okay I'm on to this like I I want to be involved and support you because that resonates really deeply with me and I love that hold that thought we have a quick word from our partners before going back to the episode This podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, RBC Investees. Backed by expert human advisors, RBC Investees is a smart, online, automated investment service that allows you to invest with low effort and low cost. 
Open your first RBC Investees account and pay no management fees for your first year. Plus, start investing with as little as $100. Simply visit rbcinvestees.com slash getinvesting and sign up using promo code AA407. And now back to the episode. So for everyone that's watching right now at home, um, what are some tangible things that we can do, um, you know, to support the movement, to, you know, pique our curiosity? What would you suggest for, for the listeners that maybe don't know where they fit into the whole movement, but want to kind of take a stab into something? Yeah, no. So that, that's a great question. And it, and it's uh, there's a plethora of, of things that people can do. And I think number one, I think for me was trying to connect with what do I feel most comfortable doing? Um, my pathway into before I started Canadian Climate Challenge, I was working in sustainable fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't start my career in, in sustainable fashion. But as I started to learn more about what needed to change, sustain, that was the industry that I was functioning in. Mm-hmm. So I think easiest for most people is if you're looking to engage in collective change, which I think is where you should, is let, thinking about, okay, what community are you a part of? What industry are you a part of? And trying to familiarize yourself with what changes need to take place in that industry. Mm. Um, we, we worked with, uh, a reference to Oshawa again, um, we did a Just Transition mural in Oshawa um, in partnership with Green Jobs Oshawa, who mm-hmm. is part of the union at the GM plant, okay. and with the Canadian Union of Postal Workers. So you're working with the unions, you're working with the, the unions that run the GM plant. Yep. L- let's stop and really let the sink in for a second because this is really unbelievable to me and so this is all in the spirit of just transition can you explain what just transition means yes uh, of course so uh just transition although there's a lot of definitions for it at at the the root is as we transition our major systems that are entrenched um in in kind of propping up um our our current way of living uh normally related to fossil fuel production energy production um where where those are some of the major areas that we know need to shift Mm -hmm. and as we shift those a just transition makes sure that when we do so obviously we think of the technological shift that's required in order to do so Mm -hmm. but to make sure that the people who are currently working within these industries have a place in that future and so that that transition to a future structure is based on justice Mm. and we we have to think in these ways um when we're connecting um with the folks who currently live and work and and livelihoods are 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 in these industries and see this is what i love because this is again this is economic innovation Mm -hmm. um at the core of what you're doing and and again thinking about all the folks and i grew up in a household of you know union workers who were very much fundamental like labor rights folks and and whatever else and so access to good jobs and good benefits and good pay is something that many of these industries have been affording people for a long time in this country Absolutely. that's a reality you know manufacturing um this is a, a, a huge it has been a big backbone especially for ontario so when we talk about that just transition knowing that we need a ju- we need justice for the planet yep. so we need to transition the way that we do things but we also need to ensure that people are still going to be able to transition over to good paying jobs, to good opportunities to put you know, food on the table for their families while still being able to create something that's more sustainable and, and making these deep system, systemic changes. So I love that project so much. I think it's so cool. To end off, because we are here at Conscious Economics, can you talk a little bit about your climate finance stuff that you guys yeah. are doing? Because I think that is just so, I mean, I know so many people that hear climate finance and they're like, what 
even is that. <laughs> so can you explain to us what that is? Um, absolutely. So uh, when, it, when it comes to the climate finance work that we are doing, our, it's very confusing for people, and therefore most people are very subject to easily being greenwashed as to what is the future of finance industry need to look like yeah. how much a uh, hundred million dollars sounds like a lot to some people a hundred billion to pledge for the uh, a cop 26 sounds like a lot those are drops in the bucket yeah. and so the familiarity that most people have with finance is so broad that greenwashing is is so easy to take mm. place and so i think what what we are trying to do with the school for with the school for climate is to identify what are the primary principles that you need to, in Canada, you need to see the finance industry committed to, mm. to actually then qualify that as climate finance. What, how much equity needs to be at the backbone of, of, what, their, of what their commitments are. Mm. Commitments Canadian, uh, both locally and, and nationally, and, but also globally. Mm -hmm. and, and what our, our intention is to do is identify what are those four pillars that represent um, the climate finance industry's goals in Canada, and then fill the finance neighborhood mm -hmm. with images of what that looks like. Yeah. And so that way people are less susceptible to being to, to greenwashing and, and are empowered to say, okay, I work at RBC, I work at, at CIBC, I work at TD, and I know that I'm not seeing these from my organization. Mm -hmm. And so if I want to work at an organization that is in the future of finance, which that's what's happening. Yeah. All the all the young generation who's going into finance and leaving uh, university now understand that a financial system that is predicated on deep imbalance and, and exploitation okay. is has its limits. We've seen those limits, and it's a mature approach to to the future of finance yeah. is indigenizing the economy yeah. is having more visible rep uh, minority representation, not as a subset, but as a, as a as the base of resilience for an economic system that is in tuned enough with the balance that we see in our environment to 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 say that it is even yes. remotely sustainable. So mm. that I think we really want to fill that neighborhood and make it welcoming. I love this project so much. Again, of course, I've worked with Bay Street for years. I've worked with Corporate Canada for years. I know that there are many, many progressive folks that are working Definitely. within these institutions that want to see change, that want to see that happen. Um, and I think you are, again, helping people to be educated, helping people to understand where their rights are, where their, their ability to mobilize is, but also in this respectable way where you're actually inviting the institutions Absolutely. to the table. You're working with the institutions. You know, it's not about this dichotomy of like us versus them or whatever. It's how do we all come together for that cause? So on that, um, I just want to say thank you so much for coming into the studio today, Andre. Um, for anyone who's interested in getting involved or finding out more, where can people find you? So um, for, first of all, I want to thank you. Um, you can find us at uh, on Instagram at uh, the School for Climate, uh, schoolforclimate.com and Canadian Climate challenge.ca um, those are the best places to keep uh, up with our work and if I could just say one thing Rhiannon um, one of the things that for me why I connected to you right off the bat um, as you alluded to you've been working inside of the financial system for for quite a while now and I think it's very common that we have these narratives that are us versus them outside inside um, and I think we need to be clear and I think you've been very clear about this from the day that I met you is we need everybody 
150%. And as much as this conversation sounds and seems polarized and, and people want to get defensive, really what the, what the goal here is, is to create a system where we can all see ourselves in. Yes. Um, and so I, I really hope that everyone on side of that message, even if, if you're inside the financial institution, if you're outside of it, I, I, I want folks to not lose sight of the fact that what we're trying to move forward to is better for all of us. Yes. Um, so, yes. Yeah. Prayer of unity. Keep marching. We do. We, we are in this together. We're on this planet together. It's our job to save it together. It's our job to save ourselves yes. together. Um, and we can. We yeah. can. Oh, absolutely. So, yes. And we will. And we will. Yeah. And we will. Okay. Well, we'll have to have you back to, to talk about this some more. But thank you again. Um, for those of you tuning in right now, uh, you can check the show notes for any of those handles or websites that Andre just mentioned. And if you're more interested in some of the stuff that Conscious Economics is doing as well, you can check out our website at ConsciousEconomics.ca. See you again next week. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by CPP Investments. At CPP Investments, they never lose sight of the long term. They invest the Canadian Pension Plan Fund to help provide financial security for generations of Canadians. They diversify the CPP fund across geographies and asset classes to access the best investment opportunities and generate sustainable long-term returns. The fund is now more than $400 billion. To learn more about their investment performance for Canadians, visit cppinvestments.com.